Hello, I'm James Grasby, and welcome to a brand new season of the National Trust podcast. Over the next few months, our presenters Alan Power, Kate Martin, Joe Dyson and I will be bringing you stories from the gardens, landscapes and collections of the National Trust. In this episode, we're doing things a little differently. We're asking the question, what does heritage mean to you? This has been inspired by the launch of Heritage Open Days 2019. Today, I've come to Blackpool to take a very special tour and to get a deeper understanding of the role we each play in shaping our shared and individual heritage. In the National Trust, we talk a good deal about history and heritage, but I think it's quite rare that we sit down and really think about what these words mean. And it seems very timely this month, as hundreds of properties are open for Heritage Open Days, that I should be here in Blackpool to explore these questions about what heritage and history mean. Heritage Open Days, it's all about encouraging local people and communities and groups to tell stories and the heritage that matters to them. We have 5,700 events this year. Uh, We open up everything from shepherd's huts to stately homes. There's performances, there's festivals, whatever anybody wants to do. We try and support and empower people to do it. I'm Annabelle Thorpe and I'm the Heritage Open Days National Manager. The National Trust fund Heritage Open Days jointly with players of People's Postcode Lottery. Every single event has no charge to just make it as accessible as possible. The Trust has its properties and they have the fantastic sort of arts programmes that go on in there, but they're all curated and directed by National Trust staff. Whereas Heritage Open Days is absolutely led by local people and individuals and communities. And I think that is something that the Trust wants to champion One of the more unusual events is uh, Blackpool Illuminations, something that so many people are familiar with. But for Heritage Open Days, you can go into the Lightworks, which is where the lights are created, um, and have a peek around and see the work that goes on behind the magic. Walking towards the workshop now, I have to admit, the location that I've been sent to doesn't look very magical. But I'm hoping Jill Carruthers, Blackpool's exhibition coordinator, can shed, if I might say, some more light on the situation. Jill, I'm very pleased to meet you. I wasn't expecting this. I mean, you've brought me to a very industrial part of Blackpool, right next to the apple. Yeah. What I didn't appreciate about the Blackpool Illuminations is it's not simply a light spectacle. I mean, it's a huge sort of multimedia extravaganza, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Hundreds of thousands of people come to Blackpool to watch the Illuminations be switched on by a celebrity. So tell me how it started. So it was all a response to a crisis in the cotton industry in the 1870s. Lancashire is very focused on the cotton industry. Cotton mill workers had six days a week in the mills, two weeks per year. The whole mill would close and they'd have two weeks worth of unpaid leave where they would all up sticks and go to Blackpool. It was basically the start of the holiday concept. Prior to that, it was a small farming hamlet. Blackpool even turned its back on the sea prior to that. And it wasn't until they realised they had something that the masses really wanted, which was escapism. That's when the ballrooms, theatres, massive, beautiful palaces of entertainment were built. At one point, Blackpool was able to seat as many people as the West End is today. 
in 1879, the UK economy was struggling. If the cotton industry was struggling, then Blackpool would be struggling because the workers were not coming to Blackpool. The mayor at the time, he had to start thinking a little bit outside the box. What could get hundreds of thousands of people to Blackpool? And that's when he struck on the idea of applying to get these arc lamps installed on the promenade. They really hadn't been seen before. London had only just installed some. They've been described as artificial sunshine. They were so bright you couldn't look at them. Before that, there were gas streetlights, which barely cast a glow on the floor beneath them. Whereas these were quite cutting edge technology. There's accounts of people trying to read a newspaper in the dead of night and being able to read it perfectly without any need for a pair of spectacles. It really was quite extraordinary for them. In typical Blackpool style, they had a carnival to celebrate. It was called the Carnival of the Sea. They dragged an old hulk of a ship from Preston, which they set ablaze. Lancashire volunteers were shooting volleys of artillery into the air. You know, it was a typical spectacle that Blackpool would put on. So, Jill, how, how do we get from the arc lamps to where we are now? The real start was in 1925, after the end of the First World War. This is where our archive really begins, because the illuminations before then were literally just strips of festoon lighting. There wasn't really any sort of design approach or overarching concept for them. As technology advanced and they, um, they wanted to start incorporating neon, which is where these designs come in. Wow, these are absolutely stunning. They show up the very vibrant colours. That's a staggering drawing, isn't it? This is the facade of the town hall mm -hmm. with neon lighting outlining the architecture. Yeah. It looks like a little bit of Broadway. Yeah, absolutely. And the town hall was very much played a feature um, in the switch on. When that initial switch happens and the, th the light switch is thrown, uh, all of the lights on the um, town hall all come on and the spectacle just was, would have been absolutely fantastic. It must have been staggering. So these are the neon designs, but also at the same time there are these examples of tableaus and they're very much still a big feature of the illuminations now. So this example I've brought out here is the earliest tableau example we've got, which is um, the Cinderella tableau. So it was very sort of crude back then, um, just plywood, painted plywood with the design, with lamps on it, which would flick on and off to look as though it was moving. So for example, the horse, the lamps would be flashing at a time to make it look as though the horse was prancing and the wheels would turn on the carriage, the fairy godmother's wand would twinkle and things like that. Very, very early examples of the tableaus. So this is a 1960s design. This is just an example of how complicated the tableaus really are. There's a boy about to be shot out of a cannon as a human cannon. Someone comes in and lights the fuse. He gets shot out of the cannon, bounces off the moon, the guy who lit the fuse comes round the back and catches him. It's like a Disney animation, isn't it? Yeah. Or a, or a Storyboarding, flip isn't it? Storyboarding, yeah. exactly, exactly that. Now, Jill, this is probably a silly question with the wealth of stuff you've got here, but what are your, what are your favourites from this wonderful archive? Yeah, this is quite a funny one, actually. Um, oh, yes. I don't know if you've heard about this. Oh, the mummy, yes. So th this is called the Egyptian Tableau, and it's uh, down on the promenade now. You can still see it. This mummy basically pops up mm. out of a, um, a coffin. 
every so often and then go and sits back down. And one morning they came to do their daily inspection of the illuminations and discovered that their mummy had been pinched. <laughs> Somebody had robbed it. Oh, no. So they did um, they did a feature in the paper saying, has anyone seen my <laughs> mummy? <laughs> the Citizen, Thursday, October 13th, 1994. Anyone seen my mummy? Broken-hearted Illuminations boss Keith Hall is today recovering after learning his mummy had gone missing. <laughs> so it's quite ironic, really, because you don't you don't you don't need to steal any of the Illuminations. Um, they do actually go up for auction uh, when they've not uh, able to be put up again. Um, so uh, each year they they do an auction, and and people from all over the world buy them. I mean, people around Blackpool buy them, but they've ended up in. Um, Dubai, Zimbabwe. There's one at the bottom of um, a flooded quarry where I learnt to scuba dive. And there's a donkey at the bottom of the quarry and you can go and sit on him. The nature of heritage. I mean, it's such a broad thing, isn't it? I mean, here you are looking after this enormous archive. It's a wonderful heritage of, of leisure, pleasure and fun. Everybody has a heritage, um, whether they know it or not. Um, grandma might not necessarily think that she has much to do with her heritage, but she will have danced on the ballrooms, dance floors in Blackpool. She will have gone to see the shows with, you know, Ken Dodd and Tommy Cooper. And she'll be able to pass on those little gems of, uh, she might have seen the elephants bathing in the sea that have come from the Tower Circus. You know, there's lots of elements there that can be passed down through the generations. And that's very much what we want to um, get people to 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 do and and talk about and discuss and uh, debate. But um, it's important that people appreciate um, the past and the journey that we've been on uh, to get to where we are now, um, and that the, the you know those journeys aren't forgotten. Jill, it's been absolutely wonderful to meet you and see all these things. Um, I've got to go off on a tour now with <gasps> Richard, oh, fantastic. which I've been looking forward to. But I'm sorry to say goodbye. So I'm now going to go and see Lightworks, the home of Black Bull's illuminations. And I think Richard is waiting to give me a tour. I'll just go through this door into an enormous warehouse. Richard, hello. Hi, James. I'm How James are you? Grasby. Hello. Hi. I'm very pleased to see you. My goodness, what an enormous building. Now, Richard, you're part of Heritage Open Days. What does, what does that mean for Lightworks? Uh, well, it means that we open our doors and you can come and have a look and get a backstage tour of the illuminations and see how they're actually made. Show me around. Where are we going to start? Richard, you've terrified me already with this... <laughs> We've just, I've just, you've just brought me over. I've turned my head and there's an enormous Dalek beaming at me. So it's a, large, a larger-than-life-size Dalek. I mean, it's, what is it, 10 feet high? Yes, the Daleks <laughs> have been in the, in the show for quite a while now. We've got a lot of traditional illuminations. One of the most popular from the late 70s is the uh, teddy bears. Yeah, if we didn't put those out every year, I think I'd be lynched. People love them, they want to come back. They remember coming with their parents and having the picture took with them. And it, it, it's a tradition. If you want to do something really old, that's the original switch on switch from 1934. My goodness. You get the sense that there are some things that you like to bring out every year that people come back to see alongside things that are new. Well, obviously, we do make some new pieces every year. Uh, this is an example of literally how we start. What am I looking at? We, we call them construction drawings. Quite an easy one, to be honest, of sooty, because we know what sooty like. So we can go and have a look at one if you like. I'd love to see it. 
So, so the big blocks of polystyrene you can see there, that's exactly how Sooty would start. So he would start life as a big block of polystyrene. Extraction equipment, drills, circular saws. So that's the joinery shop. We're now going into the spray booth. We have to spray them lit because they look very different if you don't. I hope you think that these actually look like Sooty. That's very skilled work. You've made a wonderful job. Richard, we started over in that corner, this huge building with the, with the past, the wonderful her heritage. We've looked at the things that you're making now, but what about the future? Video mapping shows, so projection shows that give the illusion of buildings moving. And what you're looking at here is our trailer that we use. As I said, we don't do anything by half in Blackpool. That is an enormous trailer. I mean, it's the back of an Arctic... That's, that's exactly what it is, is that, it? We, that we converted. Yeah, it's like an, an outside broadcast unit is the way I'd describe it. Uh, but as I said, we don't do things by half, so this will house 14, 17K projectors. Uh, we actually create all the content in-house, uh, so I can take you to meet Emma who does that, and she has the most powerful computer in Blackpool Council. Wow. This is, this is the design hub of the illuminations. This is the future of the illuminations, it and is. there's Emma. It is. Hopefully she'll show you something <laughs> exciting that she's working Emma, how do you do? I'm good, thank I'm you. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Oh, no, is no, this the, no problem. Is this the most powerful computer in Blackpool? This is definitely the most powerful computer in this building, <laughs> should I say, yeah. Now, <laughs> uh, tell me about the future of Blackpool Illuminations. Can you show me an example of what you've been up to? Well, so, at the minute... So we've got a sooty and sweep show, and this is the size of a whole facade of a building some very vibrantly coloured images. Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. It's such a huge scale. The colour palette you're using is the colour palette used in the neon, early neon lighting. With Jill earlier, I was looking at some drawings she was showing me from the 1930s of neon light yes. formed to accentuate the shape of the building. And now you're really doing exactly the same thing, but in a very high-tech way. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, we... Projecting well, onto we, Yeah, yeah, there. projecting the lights onto the building. With one shot there, it does look like there's neon delineating the building. It's nice to keep to sort of traditional designs that we had, but just bring them into the modern age. And what is f fascinating too, I think, is the, is the fact that, what, that, that, that a performance has become heritage, that it's not so much to do with artefacts and things, but a way of doing things and putting on this show that changes every year. Yeah, definitely making memories that not only I can enjoy and my family in the future can enjoy, but also other people's families. So it's not just an individual satisfaction. It's a satisfaction knowing that number of families who come and holiday here for years and years to come will be able to look at potentially work that I've done. By that point, it might be heritage itself um, and someone else could be here in the seat that I'm in doing something completely different. But it's nice to have that stamp on something that will last. Children will be speaking about it, you know, their children will be speaking about it for years to come. I'm just walking along the promenade towards Bispam Chip Shop, where I'm going to be meeting Kathy and Dave, for whom a visit to the Blackpool Illuminations forms part of a decades-long annual tradition. Very promising smell of fish and chips, and I'm looking for two people, Kathy and Dave, who I know have been coming here for a very long time. And I hello. Hello. <laughs> May hello. I join you? Yes, yes of course. You're very kind. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Now, look, your story is so romantic. 
Um, for the last 37 years, we've come here to the Bispam kitchen. We'll get a takeaway with a salt and vinegar and a can of pop in your pocket, and we'll walk through the illuminations and look at the lights. Yeah. It's something that we've done since before we were married. I'm, I'm the... just thinking about this, you know, for the first time, really. I mean, if I tell you the truth, the first time I knew I was going to marry you, was when it was pouring down my rain, not dissimilar to today. <laughs> and, I, and I foolishly took my jacket off and put it over your head. And me, me, I remember my white shirt sticking to my chest and I'm thinking, I've gone mad. Or is it love? I don't, don't know. <laughs> and then it turns into something else that you're doing it with your family. We brought our daughter and as she's grown up, we brought our grandchildren. For example, the one that drives little little Brianna crazy. When the, 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 the mummy comes out of the box, she'll scream, I don't want to see it, take me away. And then, can we go back that way, Grandad? <laughs> you, know, you know, kids are like, <laughs> she loves it and hates it. And I remember that feeling myself. Quite often, certainly in the National Trust, we think of heritage as being a sort of monument or a great house or a mm. famous garden. Quite clearly, heritage doesn't just mean that. It means places and rituals and traditions mm. that are important to people. We feel almost obliged to give that heritage to our grandchildren so they can get the same buzz and same vibe. You know, it's, it'd be selfish not to take her now. So if you had to summarise what heritage means to you in just a few words, what would you say? tradition. It's part of your fibre, part of your being. It's something that even beyond your own existence will continue. It's part of national identity of who we are as a nation, as a, as a people, you know. Um, making sure that tradition doesn't get swept away under the carpet. Yes, you've just got to keep some old and some new traditions. You, yeah. make, you make new traditions. A lot of the same tableaus will appear. <laughs> For us, it gives us a tinge of nostalgia to see some of the old stuff. We almost don't want it to be replaced with laser lights. And you can't talk about the lights, by the way, without talking about the trams. It was so inspiring meeting Cathy and Dave. Dave spoke so nostalgically about the um, old trams that run along the seafront that I couldn't resist boarding one. My view of heritage has changed so much in such a brief amount of time. As a National Trust curator, I'm very tied up with buildings and artefacts and tables and pots on shelves and what they all mean. But what I'm now very excited about is about people making their own heritage through visiting and being part of great places. We quite often think of inheritance as money being left by one generation to another. But I think what has been shown to me here so beautifully as inheritance being passing on your soul and things that really matter that you cannot take with you to uh, the next generation. This year, Heritage Open Days runs from the 13th to the 22nd of September. And if you'd like to experience Heritage Open Days for yourself, go to heritageopendays.org.uk. In our next episode, we'll be heading to an island on the River Blackwater in Essex to learn what happens when geology, people and places combine. But until next time, from me, James Grasby, goodbye. <laughs>